and welcome to IIEA Insights with me, Dan O'Brien. In the final event of this series before the summer break, we'll be discussing the unionist tradition on, this, uh, on the island of Ireland with two unions, Lord Paul Bew and journalist Ben Lowry. It's often said by those living north of this island's border that we in the south pay too little attention to what's going on there. There's no doubt some truth in that charge, but the unusually high rate of sign-up for today's event suggests that amongst our membership at least, there is a desire to better understand how others who share this island think. The discussion today will focus more on what might be termed sociocultural issues in the unionist community rather than hot button political ones, which the audience might be more familiar with. Although inevitably, I think we will come to political matters towards the end of our allotted 45 minutes. Let me briefly introduce our guests today. Lord Paul Bew is an academic historian who became involved in politics as a close advisor to the late David Trimble before and after the signing of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. And he remains active in the House of Lords as an independent crossbench peer. Ben is a career journalist who is now editor-in-chief of the Belfast Newsletter, one of the oldest newspapers in the world, and the only one of Northern Ireland's newspapers to represent a clearly unionist position. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Let me start uh, with the question of religion, uh, secularization. For, for centuries, religion uh, played an, an incredibly important role in the society and societies of, of this island. Um, religion has, as we all know, uh, become much less important, uh, far more people not being religious uh, um, in, in recent times. Paul, could I start with you and ask you how unionist identity has changed as religion has become less important and um, how big a change that has been? Well, actually, Ben has written about this. One of the paradoxes is that the unionist community moved away from religion or became more secularized before the, the Catholic and nationalist community. Uh, and that's the impact of that politically I'm not sure in the short term, uh, Ian Paisley made a choice between, for example, many members of his church and the secular thing of being first uh, minister in Northern Ireland, and he chose the secular thing. And that is a very, very big moment in, in Unionist and, uh, and, and Protestant history, which dismayed many members of his church. So the, it, 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 it's right, this is biting now, what we have learned, however, in the Catholic community and nationalist and nationalist Ireland is that Catholic Catholicism, once considered to be the sine qua known of Irish identity, is very much less the case. But it doesn't actually mean there's any less tribalism. And I think the same goes for, 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 for unionism. In both cases, religion, religious belief, never really strong, by the way, in the Protestant working class religious attendance, even at the beginning of the Troubles, um, uh, more a middle-class thing as religion in England is more of a middle-class thing. Uh, and, and, you know, the working-class people were religious, were actually the Irish to a very large degree in England. Um, so never very strong in the Protestant working class, hugely anyway. But we are in a moment, it is changing. The speed in nationalist Ireland is, is very dramatic. But the worrying thing is that the uh, religion, which encouraged at least thought about ethical questions, the worrying thing is that um, uh, it, it, it is that tribalism in either community is not at all diminished. 
Ben, would would you share that pessimistic outlook? I suppose the hope was always that if 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 uh, thinking of the John Lennon song, uh, that if you, yeah. if you uh, don't have these things, um, that that people the differences between peoples um, becomes less important. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I entirely agree that the re religious, the actual religious element has declined, and the tribal element has remained. And in many respects, in recent years. And I don't just mean post-Brexit, it accelerated post-Brexit, but I think it was happening anyway. The tribal divide was worsening. Um, maybe it waxes and wanes, I don't know. Um, but let me try to condense my answer to you, because I have been thinking about this for, um, I, I'm, I'm in my early 50s, not quite 50 years, but 45, uh, when the Pope came to Ireland in, in, in 79, which I remember very vividly because he was a big, came off a jumbo jet and he kissed the ground. It was all very exciting. And I, 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 um, our neighbours went, I didn't know, in Bangor, I didn't know very, you know, overwhelmingly Protestant area. And I didn't know why they were going, we weren't going. And I thought it was, if somebody said to me at that age when I was eight, um, are you Catholic? I'd have said yes. Are you Protestant? I'd have said yes. I just thought it meant Christian. And this is very, very common, very common middle class experience. So I knew they went to a different church, but I, I didn't know it until much later, until I was about 12 or 13, started to read about politics and find my own way into it. But I, I quite a few of my contemporaries, I emphasize this as a not typical of North Belfast or somewhere like that or Westerone, but quite a few of my contemporaries, I remember one uh, boy was on a boat to the Isle of Man at 14. It's quite common not to know at 14. And uh, somebody on the boat said, are you Catholic or Protestant? And he said, yes, yes. He just didn't know the answer to the question. So, and then I've been, and then the thing that I really began to think about was um, the fact that Protestants were depicted. This is a, something I've really noticed in the last 25 years, but I first noticed this happening, how Protestants are depicted as more religious when they're less. When in 1990, even though 19, even though I was 18 and had been following politics for quite a few years, very, very closely, even I miscalculated something when they had a referendum in Castle Ray, where my school was, a council that Peter Robinson was in charge of. It's one of the only councils in the history of Northern Ireland that has had not only a DUP largest party, but had a DUP overall majority. And it was the centre of the Free Presbyterian Church. His church was there. Therefore, I had mistakenly and foolishly thought that this meant it was very religious and very Protestant. And they had a referendum, which the council, because DUP ran it, were too embarrassed to make a decision themselves on the opening of leisure centres on a Sunday. And, um, you know, thought it would be a close run thing. I've never forgotten the statistic. It was a seminal point in my understanding of the answer to your question. It was 13,000 in favour of Sunday opening and 2,600 opposed. Uh, is 85% or whatever that is, um, or is it 90% or 80%, I think, um, it, uh, an absolutely overwhelming um, uh, majority in favour, okay, or something modest like Sunday opening, it was in East Belfast, it was in Protestant East Belfast, that they started to defy Sunday opening ban on pubs in the 1980s, I remember clearly the footage of Paisley protesting sometimes the RUC pulling people out of pubs, just the, and, 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 and so there has been this tension um, so and then and then the then what began to bother me was the misconception because I had quite a lot of time. But when I joined the Belfast Telegraph in 2000, every time there was line dancing or a 
um, a sort of inflammatory um, uh, heavy metal star who supposedly had said something demonic came in. There were these protests. And as a young reporter, I was asked to go out. And I just didn't like this because the depiction was this lazy depiction of Protestants as headbangers. And the last thing I'd say about this is to back into what Paul says. I've been writing about this recently, which, which I have, because I really think, and I said it on an RTE broadcast um, when the census figures were, were and I think it's really, really important to say this. 1968, there is a major survey on church attendance in Northern Ireland, and 50% of Anglicans, less than 50% of Anglicans were at weekly church attendance, less than 50% of Presbyterians were at weekly church attendance, something like 48, I mean, very high. I think Methodists were fractionally over 50%, and Catholics were 94 or 95, maybe even 96, I don't remember the exact figure, percent. In other words, so wait a minute, folks. I grew up in I grew up in a world in which Paul, by the way, again is right about the working classes and the middle classes. But when you get into the professional middle classes, what you might call the upper middle classes, um, there was also very low church attendance rates. I mean, where the norm was to play golf or tennis or something. Tennis was a thing I particularly remember people playing on Sunday by people who wouldn't have even thought of going to church. And 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 this this is the, the, this this so before the troubles, you have. Um, decades ahead of Catholics are falling away from the, from the church amongst Protestants. And then, of course, you get, for example, in 1984, um, you know, Troubles is almost waning, um, uh, Paisley, it's, I think it's 84, a Euro election, where he gets 230,000 votes to the Ulster Unionists, 147, I think Jim Kilfeder got 170 to 230 overwhelming vote for Paisley when you when you put it to the crunch. And that was when 1% of Northern Ireland at its peak was pre-Presbyterian. It's probably about one in 200 people now. In other words, a massive political vote for Paisley and a non-existent religious support for him that people don't understand because the DUP was so disproportionately pre-Presbyterian. Um, Paul, are you indisposed there? Do you no, I'm fine. I'm back. I'm just just sending the call away. Um, yeah, no, I, I do think this is ben, Ben's point is very strong. He he has been following and thinking about this probably more than anybody. Um, although for scholars, for example, in the histories of the DUP, the moment he talked about when the DUP opened East Belfast on a Sunday is now is now part of the scholarly history which says that's the moment we knew that in the end paisley would end up as first minister that's the moment that we knew that the that, that that there was secular considerations that were in in power and paisley himself said about that european election that we're talking about paisley which which the world saw as uh, protestant ulster enthusiastically signing up for some evangelical protestantism Paisley himself said, I know that tens of thousands of people have voted for me who never darkened the door of a church. Um, he himself was, was honest about, about stating that. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, his looming persona and those clashes in the Vatican and so on with Ottoman Habsburg, etc., uh, um, have created oppression inevitably outside Northern Ireland about Northern Irish Protestantism, which is actually far more lukewarm. That's basically Ben's point. Far more lukewarm than and has been for a very long time than the the headline vision of Paisley at the Vatican would make you think. So, could, could I ask you both just briefly whether, in your perception, religion is more important for unionists, the unionist community now today, than the nationalist community, or is it is it similar? Just just give a sense of what your perception on that question is. 
Well, I, I mean, for the naturalist community, even though Catholic attendance has collapsed, the sense that there is a Catholic identity, a historic identity, which is one of second class citizenship, is still there uh, in broad historical terms. And that, that now exists among people who no longer care about, uh, you know, the specific Catholic doctrines as against Protestant doctrines. So, I mean, there was a, I remember a book I published on Northern Ireland, Manchester University Press in 1979, and a leading Canadian academic said, the problem with this book is that, uh, well, he said, lots of interesting history, politics in it. Um, this book called The State of Northern Ireland, I wrote with Henry Patterson. The problem is it doesn't tell you that people are dying now in Northern Ireland over differing routes of going to over differing routes of going to heaven. Now, actually, I don't even really believe that was true, even in the early phase of the troubles, but certainly not in the later phase of troubles. People are not dying. The conflict is not about differing routes of going to heaven, but another, but it is about entitlement and what you think you're entitled to as a result of your ethnic inheritance. And on the and that is that's the situation broadly with Catholic Ireland. Catholic Northern Ireland, and it is also about, and these are, that's a more secular concept, but they're not dying, and the conflict was not about different routes of going to heaven. I'm sure of that. I'm sure it wasn't even true in the 70s. Um, I think my book on the whole was right not to write about the subject as if that was the essence of it. Um, so, so I think that's, that's, the, that, that, that's really, a, a, you know, a key thing. But for Protestants, on the other hand, there is a low-key but identification of the union and the British link and Britain's role in Ireland with economic growth, with uh, equality before the law, with legality, progress, intellectual freedom. Low key, but there unarticulated, even as explicitly as I just have uh, among the, the, the Protestant middle classes, but that's what their inheritance is. So those intellectual inheritances, both on the Catholic and the Protestant side, from coming from their, their differing traditions is, I think, really um, uh, is the way to look at it. Ben, before before adding, can I just add another dimension into this? And, um, the, a term I hate, but it's it's I suppose a useful term, short hand uh, term, culture wars. Mm. Um, the polarization of society between maybe those who are socially conservative and people who on the left, both liberal, illiberal. Um, that, that that is a new dynamic in politics everywhere. Is, is that something that has been imported into Northern Ireland? And how do you see, is the unionist community on, more on one side or the other? Maybe some insight into, into that new uh, culture war phenomenon. So, so just to ally that to your last question um, about uh, um, is effectively um, church more... Um, influential amongst uh, uh, unionist politics. I, I'm paraphrasing badly what you were saying, but one of the things that you were getting at in that. I, I, I okay, so the, a big issue about unionism at, in, at the moment um, is really deep confusion. There are a lot of problems and the response to it understandably is confusion um, because there are just so many elements in play. I'm not saying that unionism couldn't recover. Nationalism could just as easily find itself in confusion in a few, few years. These things change. But we are deep in culture wars that on the unionist and Protestant side are marred by confusion. And there has been a more decisive move 
on the nationalist side to repudiate the church. So which was the more churchy, if that be the word, of the two parties? Obviously, the SDLP. I mean, I remember, for example, um, in 1990, again, just around about time I'm leaving school, homosexual age of consent in UK being reduced from 21 to 18. A uh, very modest step compared to uh, having only been decriminalized in Northern Ireland less than a decade before. Um, and it, let me get this right. Yeah, it was Seamus Mallon opposed and and um, uh, John Hume supported and John Taylor actually supported. Uh, most of the unionists opposed. Um, but so there's been a more emphatic, even from the SDLP, repudiation of church that really they're just not, they call themselves a pro-life party, for example, but with no great enthusiasm. There's been nothing like that. And, well, the Ulster Unionists are there um, in very recent leaderships are doing something similar. The DUP finds that almost impossible to do, but given the oranges of the church, Jim Astor wouldn't do that at all. So, 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 so there's that. Then you move on to the culture wars and the conservatism. And again, we get into the confusion. Somebody who's excellent on this is Peter Sherlow, um, the um, sort of I'm struggling to find the right word, geographer, sociologist, whatever, has done a lot of statistical um, research on this. And he says, unionist politicians, and I've been feeling this screaming at the wall since that 19, in particular, that 1990 vote, which was so seminal in my understanding of this, a total repudiation of um, a sort of fundamental Christianity in one of its bases. Um, uh, and and, and Gerlo just says they, they don't understand their own voters. Why do I say that? When you started to look at, there's so many surveys in this, you wouldn't even know where to begin. When you start to, to, to look at what um, Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland feel in abortion and same-sex marriage, no great enthusiasm for either, but slightly higher levels of support amongst Protestants. So you have two conservative groups, the marge, sorry, levels of liberal support for liberal ideas amongst Protestants, the more conservative group, only slightly, being, being Ulster Catholics. And I think in terms of where we are in the world, um, obviously the, there's been an earthquake in Catholic Ireland. I mean, that's probably the most dramatic, or that is the most dramatic move in these islands, um, the collapse in, in, in that, which isn't a total collapse, but I mean, in, from the 95% levels I was talking about, um, from what was happening with the, with the Pope. Um, uh, and and, and I, I think of the, I think, Different surveys show different things. Some of them, actually, funnily enough, one survey shows Catholic France to have the highest levels of atheism in Europe. But the kind of countries that have the highest levels of atheism, England's I, I, actually not at the top, but it has unbelievably low levels of church attendance. So we are now seeing Northern Ireland moving closer to that and still nowhere near England in, I mean, it's probably about weekly church attendance is still approaching 20%. I haven't seen an up-to-date figure on that. So where are we? In Northern Ireland in particular, is like one of the less religious states in the US. Um, and I happen to have been born in one Maine, so I pay attention. Maine church attendance levels in the places like Maine are incomparably higher than they are in somewhere like England and probably akin to somewhere like Northern Ireland. We're nowhere near um, the Mississippi or whatever. So so on the on, on, on the on the on the culture wars where we lean conservative and now no one knows what to do because akin to the point that Paul was making about um, loyalists never had, um, loyalist working class, Protestant working class never had, or certainly, um, you know, 50 plus years ago had no real enthusiasm for church going. It's groups like the Progressive Unionist Party, which were first into working class groups, first into um, supporting same-sex marriage and so on. 
I suppose I'd imagine it's because, you know, living on the ground and there's no, they just adapt to how young people feel these things and there's less of a, you know, middle-class conservatism is, is perhaps the way to put it. Uh, Paul, the, the subject of class is always a, a difficult one, but, but it's been raised. And uh, I'd be interested to get your thoughts, obviously, chip in on anything that's been, been said around that culture mm. war issue, yeah. but also in terms of education, uh, you know, everywhere across the Western world and indeed beyond, educational attainment levels have, have shot up the number of the share, the, the share of young people um, mm. achieving third level education has gone up everywhere uh, on this island, uh, pretty much everywhere across the world. H how do you think that's affected um, unionism? Um, class differences within unions? Has there been a narrowing of class differences as educational attainment has risen? I, I, I don't detect any narrowing of, 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 of class differences, but I haven't looked at the latest figures. What I would say is, uh, um, there's a neat cliche to say that for um, throughout the last 34 years, Northern Ireland has had the, the best because of its grammar school system, Catholic and Protestant, Easily the highest A level results in the United Kingdom, uh, regularly every every, every uh, uh, and uh, people say the results at the other end are worse. Actually, when I um, did a job for Michael Gove on SATS testing, I had to do a report in the Department of Education in England for an independent chair of. I asked to see the Northern Irish figures, and the Irish Northern Irish figures at the bottom end weren't much worse than the English figures at the bottom end. Um, it just had a better results at the top end. But um, at that time, this is 10 years ago, so it might be out of date. But the, 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 there is no question, really, that it, you have a pretty decent, not great, but decent level of, a, 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 a decent level of access to grammar schools. There is no question that Protestants in particular tend to go. Ben and I are unusual. Ben was educated in, at the University of England, so was I. Uh, uh, and we have spent most of our lives back here. Both of us have actually worked outside uh, uh, Northern Ireland, but we're unusual that we're, we're still here. And most of Ben's schoolmates are not. And the, um, uh, you know, school I was at, 12 of us went to Oxbridge. I am in 1968 in a very good year. I'm the only one, which, and even I've worked in America and so on for years. So it, it's, it's, I'm unusual in something here. Not, none of the others are there. So there is, there is a problem here, and there's a problem that's of migration outwards of talent. Uh, um, there's no question that the place suffers from that. Um, and there's a problem, which is an all-Ireland problem, of the quality of our universities. I mean, my last vice-chancellor at Queen's, or second last vice-chancellor, used to talk about Queen should be in the top 100. Actually, Queen struggles to be in the top 200 but so do all the Irish universities. And given the level of cultural attainment on this island, and there are some very good departments all over the place, but actually all the Irish universities struggle. And as long as that is the case, the talent drift outward will be accentuated. Uh, um, it, it, you know, people will go to universities. And in England, um, for all its many problems, it is not quite difficult to maintain a pretty high number of universities which are in the top 100, the top 200. Um, and I said, hey, this is just not just an Northern Ireland problem, it's a problem throughout the whole island. Um, and despite the cultural heritage which Ireland can draw on North and South, 
um, our universities are actually marginal and and the heavy hitter league, and that affects, of course, the attitude of parents, who who, who and, and further enhances among the other cultural things why they, there is a definitely a, a, an exodus of talent, more particularly from the Indus community. Actually, both communities living and working in London, as I do for a lot of the time now, I'm look at if you look at the recent ambassadors appointed by the Foreign Office. Look at the ones who are from Northern Ireland and other professional jobs in London and from both communities. Uh, um, senior opinion, uh, uh, there are senior positions now held in the British Civil Service by people from a Northern Ireland, Northern Irish Catholic background. So, you know, we have a problem and some of this is inevitable. Some of it's actually quite good, but the scale of it, I think, it, 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 the scale of it exists in Northern, Northern Ireland is probably a bit worrying. And one of the reasons for wanting to see a return to stable institutions and, and much more important than that, a more relaxed atmosphere in the city generally, in general conversation, would be would be the hope that this would lead to more people at least returning. So it's a problem. Ben, it's a ben, real problem. It, ben, it's my perception, and, and perhaps I'm wrong because I can't think of a set of figures in my mind, but my perception has always been that unionists who go to Britain to study in a higher proportion than nationalists. And many of those who go never never come back, as alluded to by Paul. Is, is there hard evidence for that? And if so, how has it changed over time? Are more um, school leaving people from the unionist tradition leaving, fewer people yeah. leaving or so, staying in Northern Ireland? Um, uh, let me back into it by starting to talk about class. It's a very important question that you asked there. Um, uh, class, uh, it's a problem with these islands. Um, it's an English language, if anything, thing. And even then, I don't even think it's as bad in Australia, New Zealand or, or Canada. But but there's the problem with uh, curious um, Ireland is almost as bad as the UK uh, with the underclass. And I think there's a very noticeable underclass in Northern Ireland. And um, actually, it's interesting how you see Margaret Thatcher in her last term in 87. The first thing she says that, that we've got to do some work in these inter inner cities when there were, you know, fairly right wing journalists like the then Daily Telegraph editor, Max Hastings, worrying about the underclass. Um, and that's what she is realizing when she's had a lot of successes in 87. And that's sort of entrenched now in Talat in, in Dublin or wherever. I, I am a little bit out of date there, but I think you've got pretty big problems. And in Bally Murphy, when I've been in um, and our, our doing, when I've been witnessing, you know, um, riots or difficult situations. Um, and when I've been in, and I've seen a lot of riots on both sides of the fence up close, and you just think, wow, there are deep, deep problems, class problems in this society. And I actually think that it's, um, and it's it's very striking in the 12th, which is a marvellous spectacle. And we obviously did today our big supplement on it, and we're being our, doing our big supplement in Scarva. And there's all sorts of, 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 of wonderful stuff going on. It's a, basically a wonderful day. But, you know, there's, there's a really, even from when, my dad had no interest in the orange and irreligious, um, but he took us as kids to it. There's even been a falling off, I think, in that kind of attendance um, because of a sort of stigma um, and, a, and, a, and a, a, a subconscious class thing. In answer to the university, um, I, I again, I formative experience in my life is having been to a grammar school um, until 13 and then going to a school um, that modeled itself on, 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 a, on an English boarding school at 13. And I went from one which was academic selection where I saw a degree of social um, 
mixing uh, because there were numerous kids came in from East Belfast to, to the school in Hollywood um, by bus because they'd passed their 11 plus. And, and um, so there was a degree, and you really saw it in your, um, the, 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 the good things that the grammar schools did for social mobility in A, the school that Jerry Adams went to, St. Mary's in West Belfast, a grammar school, B, the school that George Best went to, uh, Grosvenor, a grammar school, which then was in, in West Belfast as well. In fact, they were quite near to each other. Um, and that's still going on, which you don't have in England, which has uh, got its own class, class problems. But it does, it doesn't help, while it helps bright working class kids to get into a still largely middle-class grammar school system, it doesn't help with the underclass problem, and um, which is which is which is which is very real. And I do also think that there is a more um of in Protestants, there's definitely more. I said that there's a problem for these islands, the underclass, uh, Britain and Ireland, but I there's definitely more of the Protestant uh individualism. God helps those who help themselves, even people who might be a religious kind of thinking like that and um, ending up on welfare, be it in, in Northern Ireland, ending up in welfare, J.D. Vance, he's Scots-Irish, um, writing about this in America. And, and then, Dan, your question about the other layer to this, which is really its its its, its own new question going away. In my year, I think of the 1990 boys, 80 went. Uh, there has been more of a drift back than, than, than in Paul's specific group, um, but... I think of that, I, I at least a dozen are back and probably 20, but you're still talking about probably half aren't back and never will be back. And I, 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 a situation I would be concerned about for unionists is a Tamil situation in which the elites leave and what's left is a resentful um, group. But I, I wouldn't wanna, I would, sorry, Dan, I, you asked a specific question. No, I must emphasize these are not, I have not, studied statistics on those numbers. That's anecdotal. But I've seen that in other grammar schools in Belfast. Very, very large departures. Probably half of them go to Scotland, to Scotland, England, and a degree west. Oh, and another thing I should mention, my brother went to Trinity in the 1980s. And by the 1980s, um, again, when I'm leaving school, when he's leaving school, very few going to the south. Nothing like it would, it would have been in 1968, where it would, have been, it would have been a raft going to Trinity in Dublin. Oh, that's that's a very important but neglected point that Ben's just made. Okay, that's that, that's it's a striking, certainly a striking point. But I wanted to come to the issues to pick up on issues around um, class and underclass that you've mentioned, Ben. The working class unionist community was 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 very involved in in the, that most industrialized part of this island uh, in heavy industry such as shipbuilding, etc. Um, have the, with the loss of those industries, it clearly had a disproportionate effect on, on the people who worked um, in those communities. Has that worked itself out now that we're about 40 years on from the decline of he heavy industry or, or did that leave a permanent scar and how, how did the scar, how, how has that intergenerational scar uh, manifested? Has there been a failure to focus more on education in those communities, um, for example? I think very much. Um, I think that there's been a, um, a, a significant, uh, I think there's a significant difference. I actually think the grammar school system, which as I said, it's too complicated to get into the pros and cons of grammar schools, but I actually think it's really worked well for, 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 the, uh, um, for, for the Catholic community. Um, I think of St. Columns, 
uh, the, the list of alumni uh, compared to the school that I went to, which had some pretty good alumni, but it's, it's, it's better at some columns. And I, I really think that um, it's, it's remarkable, actually, in that particular school. I think it did. I think there was a value. I think there was an emphasis. Obviously, Shane Mazzini has spoken about this and um, an emphasis that that was the, the, the way uh, forward. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's the case. And I don't think that there's the same emphasis still to this day. So while I don't have any memory, because my memories are sort of 70s and 80s when there are already profound problems with ship, shipyards across Britain, while I don't have any memory of the time before that, what I would say confidently having been in and out of these communities and watched them for years, is that there are deep scars. And I think it's just, I'm not saying that, you know, again, people who are talking about people who are 30 years younger than me, who don't have far less of a memory than I have of, of any sort of industrial age. I'm not saying that they remember it. I'm just saying this sort of, the problems that the Western world has about what jobs there are for uneducated people are very pronounced amongst Protestants in Northern Ireland. And there is this Protestant remaining, lingering to some degree, drawbridge mentality. You know, I don't think there's, I don't think any middle classes, I wouldn't want to romanticize Catholic middle classes. I don't think any middle classes are that concerned about the bottom, but I think there is that extra layer of drawbridge mentality amongst Protestants. We'd speak all day about this people who, themselves are not elderly Protestants who feel that that are a relative of mine um, talking about the generation before them feeling that they that they, once they got it there that the drawbridge came up and I think it's a real problem. I'm going to with a few minutes we've got left uh, there are some questions that I'll put towards the very end but I suppose we, we, we need to talk a little bit about the future I know that you both take different positions on whether the devolved institutions should be uh, restored maybe Paul could you sort of set out your yeah. case for, for, for where politically uh, and institutionally things uh, should go in your view. Um, I just, I will do that. Just to conclude with a sentence on the previous discussion, the, most of my life until I was my, the Protestant working class, till even to my late 40s, was the hegemonic class in Northern Ireland. It is not, if you look at its electoral behaviour, its impact on political leadership, it is not now that probably has implications for the return of the institutions. Um, I have a very uh, uh, strong, strong view on this. Um, unionism has been in freefall, not since Brexit, the 2017 election of that year. The D DUP was on 36% and the other unionist parties did quite well. There was no crisis. Now they're you know, happy if they're in the low 20s or mid 20s. Uh, and something has happened over this period. And it's not as such Brexit. It's the handling of what is an extremely difficult question. Uh, 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 and, and Brexit undoubtedly has destabilized uh, de de destabilized the union. And, and many of the questions posed to the union's political leadership are were at a very high level of difficulty, even if they had been vastly more able. But we have actually reached a point now, number one consideration, Probably most Northern Catholics believe that unionists are not restoring the institutions because they will not work with a Catholic first minister. It is a co-premiership. It's symbolism. Uh, um, it always has been a co-premiership from day one. Nothing is really changed in terms of power. Uh, but in terms of symbolism, there is a change and in terms of language. And the, the simple number one problem is this, that the majority of Catholics believe 
that unionists are unwilling to live with this, unwilling to live with the results of a fair election, unwilling to live with the rules which the DUP put in place, because under the original rules negotiated by David Trimble, um, there is still, after all, a capital U unionist majority, albeit a small one in the Assembly, which would have led to a, uh, uh, which would have led to a, um, uh, a, a, a unionist first minister. I don't believe myself this is true of Jeffrey Donaldson. I do not believe Catholic suspicions are true, but they're indisputably there. And for that reason, almost alone, also because the Windsor framework is actually a substantial improvement uh, 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 on the previous pro, uh, protocols. And the, uh, I can't go into it in detail, but I, it's perfectly clear, by the way, that rightly or wrongly, 80% of Northern Ireland business agrees. That is substantially, it, 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 it's a substantial improvement. So for these, for these and other reasons, but above all for stability, uh, for uh, within Northern Ireland, there is a strong case now for uh, for going back. It's obvious that Donaldson leans into that. It's obvious the majority of unionist elected representatives lean into that, although the parliamentary party in, in London is split right down the middle, in my view, but unionist assembly members uh, are, are clearly more strongly inclined to go back. And I think it is just time to do it. Um, it, it, it it's, a, it's as simple as that because the, um, the stability it requires it uh, and, and, and it requires facing up to realities, uh, um, including- but Just a quick follow-up, Paul. When, if it does happen, are, are you convinced it will happen and within what time frame? I think it's 50-50. I think it's 50-50. There's no question that Donaldson wants to do it. Um, and in September, I actually, people talk about January. I think that's ridiculous. You need to have it up and running. From their own point of view, you will have an incoming Labour government in all likelihood 15 months from now, something like that, 16 months from now. If you have relatively stable institutions, the incoming Labour government is not going to have an activist approach towards Northern Ireland. But anybody who thinks that they're instinctively friendly to the unionist community, by the way, not for good reasons, often because they have a very cliched, out-of-date view of what the unionist community is thinking or what it stands for, doesn't matter. They, 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 and this is a Labour government which has no specific economic and social ideas, none, specific to as against what Rishi Sunak has. But therefore, you go into the cultural wars again. And the cultural wars from a different angle will be focused on, on, on the unionist community. But if there are up and coming working institutions, then I think <clears throat> it becomes a secondary matter. And it gives unionism a time for stability to rebuild it if it can. And by the way, my point about 2017 election, you, unionism, there's a two thirds section which will always vote for the unionist candidate in any circumstances one third are put off by talk of defeat. One third are put off by, it's a lonely game, we've been betrayed by Britain again. Actually, they have not been particularly betrayed by Britain at any point during this. The vast amounts of money, soldiers who died, and I hear this from politicians who have no interest or understanding or sympathy with people of say basic soak in England, but demand it for their own constituencies from, from the rest of the UK. They have not been particularly betrayed, but that's another argument. Okay, my point is they can no longer run. This rhetoric of betrayal is suicidal. Okay, Ben, I think I need more questions. Okay, so, so Ben, will I say something in one minute before questions? No, okay, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay, what I'd say is first of all, I want to end this myself. Um, I, I it was very important to say when I was talking about the underclass that 
it's much more complicated. The Protestant working classes poll saying this 60 plus percent of the population has been. Um, I was talking about a particular problem with the, the lowest end of that and most dis greatest disadvantages. Second thing is, I say, say in answer to this, um, it really summary, I'd have to spend a long time to explain. I don't see an alternative to return to Thor Stormont, and I say it with no enthusiasm. And 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 from I edited a paper that uh, long before I had anything to do with it, it was strongly pro Belfast agreement. I voted it my, for, for the, at the age of twenty six myself. Unionism has made all sorts of uh, blunders. Apart from anything else, the stuff that Paul's talking about. I mean, the idiocy, the idiocy of alienating people um, and demanding money and so on, and stuff that other. I mean, we don't want people to know in England what we get. And in any event, we shouldn't be getting. I shouldn't get free prescriptions. I'm mild asthmatic. Of course, I shouldn't be getting it. And 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 but but the problem with the storm, and to summarise it, is we have to have at the heart of government. And I don't know what union school a party that is determined, determined to make Northern Ireland. They're absolutely entitled to do this, of course, if if if, if peacefully Northern Ireland uh, um, I say that it's a failed state. And um, is anyone surprised? And so, there, as Paul says, this is deeply unfortunate perception that it's about um, Catholic First Minister. I, I don't think there would have been enthusiasm for Seamus Mallon, but there was immense respect for him. There's, there's, there's um, the a party that increasingly triumphalist in support of the IRA at the helm of Northern Ireland is a very difficult moment for unionists. So just in, in terms of the same question I put to Paul, if, if it's going to happen, what time frame do you see it happening? I, I think it's more likely than not to happen. And I, I, I just I think it's more likely than not to happen. And I wouldn't imagine it being a very long time, but there are real problems with it. For, for, okay, look, for the Jeffrey Donaldson wing that want it, there, there are problems. I'd like to thank you both for joining us. I, I feel we've only just scratched the surface. Um, but uh, certainly issues discussed that maybe we, we don't discuss enough. Uh, so thank you both for your time. And I hope everyone uh, on call enjoyed it and became uh, a, little, uh, a little wiser and, uh, because of it. Uh, I would like to wish everyone a nice summer and we'll uh, come in again in the autumn. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you.